Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Would You Believe? It's Feckin' Metal. I've been gone a long time. Over a month, in fact. I've been doing different things. I've been away. I've come back. And I am back now with a series that I've been promising for a long time. This is the long-awaited, long-promised Virtual Eleven review with Andrew DeBroy. You may remember him from such previous album reviews as Senjutsu back in November 2021. If you're a fan of Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone, you'll probably have heard his Iron Maiden story as well a few months ago, uh, which was also in November, I think. And you may have heard him on Maiden A to Z as well. So I am back. I'm raring to go. And we're going to review the Iron Maiden album Virtual Eleven, which was released in 1998. One of the least favorite of the Iron Maiden fans, uh, using them, the term fans as a kind of collective term there. But it seems to be towards the end of most people's lists. When you're talking about top Iron Maiden albums, it will often feature in the final four, or the lowest four, uh, usually accompanied by No Prayer for the Dying, Fear of the Dark, and The X Factor. Uh, other ones you might see lurking around in there would be The Final Frontier as well. They usually fill out the bottom five for many people. But this episode is not about ranking Iron Maiden albums. It's about doing a series on one of the lesser appreciated and maybe lesser talked about and maybe unfairly disregarded Iron Maiden albums, uh, Virtual Eleven. So I hope you enjoy the next three episodes. I'm not going to keep you too long in this introduction because these episodes are lengthy. You might say they're lengthy as bejesus, or you might not, but I just did. So there you go. Bit of Irish slang for you there. But uh, quickly, in a quick recap of what I've been up to over the last month, as many of you know, if you certainly, if you're following me on Twitter, I was in Houston, Texas, at the Hell's Heroes Festival. And um, I met up with some fellow podcasters, some friends, George from Metal Gods and Melissa from Metal Chat with Melissa. It was great to meet them in person. I've spoken to them on Zoom calls before, but it's always great to meet people that you've only spoken to virtually in actual human form. And it didn't feel strange at all. It felt felt like meeting old friends, but for the first time, if you can get your head around that one. Uh I also bumped into several musicians, um, Jarvis Leatherby, Jake from Visigoth, Michael Podrebo from Glacier, uh, Mike from Slaufeg, Armand from Night Demon, uh, Trevor from Haunt, and probably more that I'm forgetting. Uh, it was a great festival, excellent atmosphere, and brilliant bands, and loads more. But I'm not going to ruin that because I'm going to be doing a bit of a recap on that with some other folk in due course, uh, and not too far away either. But yeah, that's what I've been up to lately. Also, I took a bit of a gap in general. I was supposed to edit these episodes before I left and have them nicely timed to land on the Fridays while I was away. But that didn't happen. And there's a lot of comes to, Yeah. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> right. So I'm going to leave you with this final piece. This is a three-parter. I'm going to drop these every Friday until it's done. In between, there might be some other stuff as well, i.e. or e.g., the Hell's Heroes review. But look for these every Friday for the next three weeks. They're all lengthy, and we go a bit wild on theories about Virtual Eleven, but that's half the fun of it. Some of the stuff we talk about I've never heard anyone else speak about before. Some of it I think we had planned to say, and some of it came to us while we were discussing the album. And many of it, many of it, and a lot of it was influenced by the quantity of alcohol we were drinking on the calls. So this is a three-parter Reviewing Virtual Eleven released 24 years ago. Uh, this past month, in March, I think it was released in 1998. 
This might make you give Virtual Eleven another chance. I hope it does. I'm going to leave it there for this intro piece. Feckin' Metal, episode 55, finally. I hope you enjoy. All right. So, we're back. It's uh, We're back. That's Talking Maiden. Uh, lightning is striking twice here on Feckin' Metal because I'm back with Andrew DeBroy and we are discussing the album Virtual Eleven. But welcome back, Andrew, before we get into that. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be back. How have you been? Oh, you know, I guess there's protests kind of going on all over the world for mandates and COVID stuff. And yeah, honestly, I'm just ready to go back and go to, go to bars and go to gigs and stuff. And sorry, are you not allowed to do that at the moment in Ottawa? <clears throat> uh, so it just opened kind of like a, their phase one of like the reopening mm. plan on monday so restaurants can open at 50 percent capacity um and then yeah i don't know gyms and stuff were closed for a while a lot of businesses were just closed and what about bars like if you want to go for a a pint of beer what do you have to do now uh we can do that now we can go to uh but yeah you have to have a mask and a vax passport or whatever but right that's that's it's so funny because in Ireland, like Ireland was the, at the strictest level of lockdown for the longest time, more so than any other country in the world, as far as I can gather. And, and now, now we're open. Now it's wide open, right? Yeah, now we're open. Like now I can go into a pub, <laughs> lick cocaine off a hooker's breast, uh, like I always used to do. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and then Damn order a government's drink. government's for cracking down on... <laughs> I've licked cocaine off a hooker's breast in months years no um so yeah so it's we can we can long. do we can do all those old-fashioned things that we used to do like that um you know um and it's it's good it's good to be back but um yeah the rest of the world seems to be at different stages it's a strange one all right yeah it's an odd one strange world we are living in a strange world right so um with that segue lightning is striking twice because you're back and we're going to review another iron maiden album the last time we talked about the album du jour which was sent you to um but that's months ago now that we did that back in November, I think, of twenty twenty one. As it we record like, this, it seems like long ago, longer ago, but also seems like it wasn't that long ago. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's. Uh, a, so it, I know. Yeah, it, it does. When when you try to process time and the passing of time, you find milestones which make it seem like it was ages ago, and then you find other milestones which make it seem close. And I think that is the the one of the biggest contradictions in the human brain. It's like you think of being 20 years old and you remember something that makes it seem very recent. But then you remember another thing that makes you seem like an old man since you were 20 years old. It's, it's, I've, I've always yeah. found that as I've got older. And I, I guess when you get older, each passing year seems like it's faster because it's like a shorter, a smaller proportion of your life. Yeah, I feel we may have talked about this the last yeah. time. But we yeah. probably, yeah, we might have. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to flesh out the point by adding new insight yeah. there. But uh, you're trying to talk about the future now. Yeah, because <laughs> we're going to be talking about future real. But let's first talk about this Iron Maiden album. So I know a lot of people have covered this. I know Talking Maiden covered it, obviously. I know Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone covered it. In fact, I think that was the first full album that he covered a long time ago. And I know that um, Maiden A to Z has covered the song Future Real. And I think, I don't know, have they done The Angel and the Gambler? Are they are they? So classif- I. I went and listened. I went and listened to that episode, and I, I messaged Jonathan. I'm like, 
you guys put this in the title of the episode, but I don't think you actually reviewed it. Like I, I went through it like three times and so it was three songs on one episode. And uh, so there was Alexander the Great, which they talked about for yeah, who knows how long. Like, and then uh, and then it just skipped over to another life. I think like I I tried to find their analysis on Angel and the Gambler and couldn't find it. Just wasn't there. All right. Um, I mean, I ha- like if that was classified with the A's. I have listened to that at that episode as well. I just can't I can't remember back. Um but anyway, so I know a lot of people have covered this and it's not it's like a, not a novel thing to cover. But also it's certainly not a novel thing to go and cover the number of the beast or power slave or seventh son of a seventh son or even peace of mind or killers or iron maiden because those albums are so popular that they've been spoken about to death. In fact, some yeah. people actually drop off as an Iron Maiden fan after Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. They, their fandom ends. It's as if the rest of the albums don't exist. It's as if the band didn't exist beyond 1988. And for me, I got into the band in the 2000s, and I know you did as well. So I, at the time, went and listened to albums like Virtual Eleven, like Brave New World, like The X Factor, because they were more recent. They were the current albums at the time. And I found a lot to like about those albums, even though every other source was telling me that they were bad and wrong. Well, not Brave New World, but The X Factor and, and Virtual Eleven. So I thought if we're going to do another one of these, and we both agreed that we really wanted to do one because we enjoyed the last one so much, why not do something like this, which is often dismissed, even to this day? I think I think The X Factor has got a bit of kind of love later on in life. You know, like some of those albums where at the time, contemporarily, they're reviewed badly, but then later on they get appreciated. I think The X Factor is in that position now but i don't think virtual 11 has got there yeah it's for me i i did it took me a while to get into these two albums and then when i did get into them it was more so the x factor and then a couple of years ago i really got into x factor and was like i i put it in like my top five i guess maiden albums and i don't know if it still would be there but I know you're a big fan of ranking, so <laughs> I'm a massive <laughs> ranker. Um, so, but Virtual Eleven, I always kind of, uh, like you said, dismissed it a little bit, and not that I didn't like it. Uh, there's certainly some good material on here, but it uh, it took a while for me. But now that we're doing this deep dive again, it's like you know rediscovering it, and you're finding finding out new and cool things about it. Yeah, and it's just like a whole new level of appreciation. Well, here, here's a here's a, a bombshell for the listener. I bought this album for the first time ever recently. I've never owned Virtual Eleven in any format, legally, I'll say. Um, and uh, that's one of you two Iron Maiden. Though, right? Well, I had it on my iPod. I'm not going to lie to you. Like so, uh, like my friend Kevin, who you yeah, know very exactly. well, we were, chat, we were just chatting to a few minutes ago. There. So when we were younger, like we used to buy all the Iron Maiden albums, and he bought this one, and I copied it from him, like as we did back in the day, and I put it on my iPod. So I, like I've listened to it since I don't know whenever that was, 2003 maybe I'd say. So a good 19 year, 20 year relationship probably with the album, but I never actually physically owned it. And then when streaming came along, it became less important to actually own those things you'd only owned digitally before. Um, and then one other one is Fear of the Dark. That's the other one I don't own. Everything else, at least from a studio album standpoint, I do own. But um, yeah, I went out and bought this just just for this. I thought, you know, if I'm gonna be um, if I'm gonna be tearing at a new asshole, at least I could buy it a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and then put, sniff some glow off the. 
<laughs> no, I thought um, if I'm gonna be, um, I'm not gonna be tearing at a new asshole. It has plenty of assholes already. Um, if I'm gonna be talking about it, at least I could buy it. I thought that at was only fair. At least assholes are useful. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I do enjoy the um, the quote on the back of this, which I read out in Blaze Bailey's voice into a voice message on WhatsApp recently. I'm gonna do it again. But it's a, it's a picture of Iron Maiden looking there, most brooding and most serious. Um, and then there's a picture of Ed Hunter underneath. And then there's a quote, and I can just I can just read this in, in Blaze Bailey's voice. It says, Graphics within this booklet are taken from Ed Hunter, Eddie's computer game with music by Iron Maiden. <laughs> well done. I don't know. All the text on this album I read in Blaze's voice because he's kind of prominently featured on this he's on the inner sleeve he's on the back he's uh his he's play he's he's standing there in, in various different football teams the football pictures are the most bizarre actually um when i was younger i thought they were photoshopped but i believe they're actually real photos of the band with very famous footballers at the time paul gascoigne paul Ince. um i don't know if you were, probably weren't following british football at the time i wasn't really either but it was hard I think to it was avoid. The world cup or something right in 1998 it was yeah yeah, yeah. But um, it's it's mad seeing them standing with all those people. Like, it's the last time they've done any of that. Um, kind of um, oh, what would you say? Like, uh, fraternizing with celebrities. I I don't think I've seen Iron Maiden do that ever since. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just looking at the picture now. Like, I don't recognize any of these guys, but <laughs> I guess they were important soccer players a lot they were a lot of them were quite famous footballers like no i'm not a fan of football i've never pretended to be but at the same time you know it's hard to avoid as a human man um when all your human male friends are by virtue of being born friends of our fans of football but uh yeah so uh, it's it's odd to see all of that and it's like you'd never catch iron maiden in, in a in an album <coughs> booklet any day recently like with a picture of a celebrity beside them be it a footballer or be it anybody else so maybe they they felt like they had to back then like because their popularity was decreasing yeah and let's talk about that so this is 1998 iron maiden were at their least popular ever in ireland iron maiden played the saint francis xavier hall in 95 or 96 i think which is a tiny theater which holds about or it's gone now you it doesn't even exist anymore held about thousand to fifteen hundred people i've spoken to people who were at that concert and they have said they've said well blaze was playing with them obviously they've said it wasn't even full at the time um now i wasn't really old enough i wasn't at concert going age at that time would have only been 10 or 11 but um like the the previous time they played Dublin was on the No Prayer for the Dying tour where they played the Point Depot which held about ten thousand I think, and time since then when they played they played the outdoor RDS which I think was about thirty thousand and they played then indoor arenas for about thirteen thousand and, and the twenty twenty two now they're playing in Belfast which in a big massive field which holds about fifty thousand so I've no idea how many people they'll draw to that but basically at that time in Ireland Iron Maiden couldn't even get arrested. Uh, because their popularity was so small. And it was kind of the same across the world. Uh, and 98, I don't think, was any better. They didn't even come here in 1998. But I noticed they played very small venues in the UK. Um, and around the world, they weren't really doing great business at the time. So, yeah, maybe maybe fraternizing with Paul Gascoigne for a, a photo opportunity um, was all they had at their disposal. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see if... Uh... They played anywhere near near me back then. 
It probably would be smaller venues, like I'd imagine. And they're still playing some coliseums. Uh, maybe not bigger ones, but yeah, that's. It would have been cool to see them back then. So they played in Quebec, Quebec City, Montreal, Quebec, Canada, Hamilton, Ontario. None of those places are near you, are they? Montreal is pretty close. Quebec City's four hours. Montreal, two hours. Hamilton, six hours. So they played in Stade du Maurier in Montreal, Canada. Okay, never heard of it. Probably doesn't exist. Probably probably haven't heard of it because it's probably fucking doesn't exist anymore or it's probably tiny anyway um my point was is that they were they were at their least popular ever back in 1998 and it's maybe one of the reasons why they were posing for photos with uh, international footballers um but we 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 both were were not even listening to iron maiden at that time probably weren't even listening to heavy rock at the time so Mm -hmm. before we get into all of this firstly i want to ask you um how did you get into this album for the first time I know I've, and I, I know like you've been on Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone and you were on Maiden A to Z and I've spoken to you so we, we know the stories about like how you got into Iron Maiden which are very interesting and good but like thinking specifically of this album at what point in your fandom did you kind of say okay I'm going to properly give Virtual Eleven a listen um good question I, I think so I started listening around 2006 2007 started with Brave New World, and then went back into the classic era, and then dug into that. And then I didn't even realize that they had another singer back then. Right. So that's interesting uh, to me. So how did you end up? How did you find out then that they did? I don't know, to be honest. Like, I, and then it was only recently that I actually got into the. Well, recently, I would say I don't know, seven or eight years ago, maybe. Mm. Hey, um. I really got into Maiden, I'd say probably around 2012, 13, 14. And then I probably did a deep dive and then I realized, oh, there's a new singer. And then mm. and then I, then I got into X Factor pretty deeply and then Virtual Eleven. Yeah, I don't know. It, it took me a while to give this album like a, a fair front to back listen. So, yeah, it took, took a while. Okay. All right. So I remember my friend Kevin buying it back in the early 2000s. And I remember being intrigued by it because it was a different singer. And at the time, I had read Mick Wall's official biography, Run to the Hills, which I've mentioned on previous podcasts and previous episodes, um, which was like a, a massive tome of information. And he went into detail. Like, I remember him like... He had to choose his language carefully. I know that in retrospect now about how, when he, how he described the X Factor and how he described like No Prayer for the Dying, how he, how he described Virtual Eleven. So I remember him saying like how ballsy it was for Iron Maiden to release such a lengthy single in Angel and the Gambler. And I remember him saying <laughs> yeah. how the lyrics were more honest than they'd ever been before on albums like Virtual Eleven. And you'd never find... Uh, instrumental track like Lost for Words on a 1990s Iron Maiden album and he was he was coming up with creatively complimentary things to say about the music without complimenting the music itself um, which is a skill as a writer obviously he was writing for the band and being paid by them so uh, he made all the albums sound good which was no good for me as a potential buyer because I wanted to buy them all and like I kept reading through the book trying to determine which ones were the best ones because it was my only source of information and I remember at one point thinking Virtual Eleven must be one of the best Iron Maiden albums based on how he described it in the oh, book really? <laughs> yeah. but, but he was obviously doing his absolute best to describe something which didn't have many 
positive attributes to describe it positively and it's interesting looking back on it with the knowledge i have today but um i remember anyway i didn't buy it first kevin bought it first and i copied it onto a mini disc and i had it on the same mini disc as the x factor so i used to have a blaze bailey um dedicated iron maiden mini disc that i used to listen to all the time and these two albums kind of became interchangeable until i actually bought the x factor down on cd and had so that mini disc is that what i don't know if i've ever owned a mini disc <laughs> very few people did that's why the format doesn't exist to this day um it was a small cartridge sized um like do you, do you know would you be like i don't want to be sound like a gobshite now but do you know what a floppy disc is for, for oh yeah. yeah 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 so mini disc looked like a smaller version of that um okay. but it was i was, it was i was picturing like a you know like the gamecube it has like the small yeah so if you could imagine a game that's that's a mini disc if you yeah so what i was going to say is a mini disc it looks like a floppy disc but it has like a cd type disc inside it so if you could imagine a gamecube disc encased in see-through plastic or encased in in in, okay okay in black plastic in some cases circular circular disc encased in a square plastic holding case uh, with a little metal clip at the top of it so these things were revolutionary at the time in about 2002 when i would have started earning my first decent money from part-time employment and um i remember kevin bought one first and i think it was 250 euro or something like that and the whole selling point of it was you could fit four cds worth or 320 minutes worth of music onto one disc this predated mp3 players this is how long ago we're talking about and amazing and it was small it was like really small it was like yeah i just small square i just googled it here yeah so like if you, the the idea that you could carry this around which in your pocket and you could have four cds worth of music or 320 minutes worth of whatever mixed tape you wanted was revolutionary so i remember listening to future real or sorry um virtual 11 on on mini disc and that's how i got to know the album cool. but at the time and i didn't hear these albums until much later at the time bruce dickinson wasn't in iron maiden as we well know oh really no <laughs> he left iron maiden <laughs> So what 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 was he up to? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, Andrew, and I'm glad you asked. Uh, so Bruce Dickinson had left Iron Maiden in 1993, acrimoniously after the, I think it was a real live tour, it was called, just after the Fear of the Dark tour. And um, apparently his performances hadn't been that good on that tour. And if you look at live performances from then, I don't think he's singing that well, um, personally. Certainly not as well as he had sung on the Peace of Mind tour or um, Number of the Beast or, or Power Slave tours. And... Um, a lot of it was attributed to burnout and maybe his ideas not being um, accepted by Steve Harris for legitimate songwriting, you know, ideas or concepts, whatever. And uh, he left and he, he went off and he did, um, well, initially while he was in Iron Maiden, he released Tattooed Millionaire, which didn't really sound like Iron Maiden. It was more kind of pop-oriented rock. Then he did uh, The Balls to Picasso, which didn't really make much of a dent in anything, in, in, like in the charts or, or otherwise. And then he went and joined back up with Adrian Smith in 1997. And in uh, May 1997, him, Adrian Smith and Roy Z, along with a couple of other people, uh, formed a band which released the album Accident of Birth. And that was a return to form, certainly Mm -hmm. in terms of it being a heavy metal album and sounding like Iron Maiden. And um, I think the magazine Classic Rock said something to the effect of, in 97, Bruce Dickinson released the best Iron Maiden album in years. Um, So... I'm going to ask you, did it take you a long time to get into Bruce Dickinson's solo stuff after you became an Iron Maiden fan, or when did that penny kind of drop for you? Yeah, I didn't really even know that he had... Uh, I guess the first song I would have heard was Tears of a, Tears of the Dragon. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, power ballad. I know you like that. 
that term. Powerful in a lot of sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so then, then I listened to Tattooed Millionaire. Or sorry, that's on Balls to Picasso, I guess. So yeah, I would have listened to Balls to Picasso first. Then a few years later, probably around 20, 2015 or so, I there was a coworker I had, a former coworker. He he was a Maiden fan, but interestingly, he was more of a Bruce Dickinson fan, and he he was like a huge fan of Chemical Wedding. And he oh yeah, kind of okay. Got me into, he got me into Chemical Wedding, and then he he wasn't even that much of an Iron Maiden fan, but he absolutely loved Chemical Wedding. It was like his favorite album, and I was like, okay, that's that's very interesting. That's a rare breed of contrarian, right there. I don't even like Iron Maiden, but I love Bruce Dickinson solo albums that sound like Iron Maiden. Not that he didn't like Iron Maiden. He, he did like an Iron Maiden. I went to a show with him okay. um, in 2016, Book of Souls. Um, anyway, he was huge into Chemical Wedding, which influenced me to get into that album. And uh, That's one of my favorite albums. I, I love Chemical Wedding. And that, that was released right after Virtual Eleven, I guess, right? So there's Accident of Birth, 1997. Yeah. And then Virtual Eleven in March of yep. 1998, and then Chemical Wedding. I don't know a few months later. Was- yeah, so Chemical Wedding was September 98. Yes, love that album. Yeah, me too. Right, so so you got into Bruce Dickinson solo stuff, but um, it's funny to me like that. Uh, Bruce Dickinson went away from Iron Maiden in order to branch out and write stuff that he had complete control over, complete creative and artistic freedom over, and he did a bit of that. He did a bit of that with. Balls to Picasso. I forgot the album Skunk Works there as well, sorry, in the mix, where he tried to mm-hmm. form yep. a band and call it a different name, like David Bowie with Tin Machine, which didn't really work out. Um, and then you kind of, it's like, look who's come crawling back, you know, to heavy metal. Um, he got back <laughs> together with uh, Adrian with Smith. With Adrian, yeah. Yeah, and, and they made an album, Accident of Birth, which sounds quite suspiciously like Iron Maiden. And then Iron Maiden came out with Virtual Eleven and made an album that didn't really sound too much like Iron Maiden in parts but in other ways did and then bruce dickinson made an album that sounded even more like iron maiden than accent of the birth or virtual 11 and he made chemical wedding um and then we all know what happened next but in the middle of all that was virtual 11 so that's setting the scene iron maiden had released the x factor people didn't know what was going on there was outrage to blaze bailey a lot of people uh somebody posted up the review that the album got in kerrang there on twitter the other day i don't know if you saw that did it did you no, I didn't. So it got like, so this is kind of a famous review where, like, when Steve Harris read it, he he had it went round to the Kerrang offices and had a word. Ari went round and had a word, and um, <laughs> it was it was Alan Bell on Twitter. Right, it's about a bloke. Yeah, it's about a bloke. Right, he's always an X Factor. Right, he's yeah. a factor. Right, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's in the future. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it got like tr- like Kerrang rates things out of K's and like um. 5Ks is the best. So this got KKK. <laughs> and I don't mean that in, uh, in any other way other than it got three out of five. <laughs> but um, that's not, that's not, that's not terrible. Yeah, exactly. It's not terrible. But uh, this, this yeah. famous review, like where Ari went around and had a word, but it's not even that bad. You'll, you'll find it online if you Google it. And um, they basically were just saying things like, you know, that weren't related to the music. Um, had Iron Maiden lost their foothold in heavy metal? Were they relevant anymore? Was Blaze a good singer? Blah, blah, blah. And then they mentioned one or two of the songs. But uh, three years later, anyway, you know, we arrive at the X Factor. Or sorry, 
we arrive at virtual 11 and this is what we get and i'm showing you the cover here now it's a uh, it's eddie who see i could never really work out what was going on here it's like is that a cl- yeah i know there's so much go- like i don't know top top left is like uh it's like a know, burning city like or- you're in yeah. hell or something and then like bottom left there's like a football it's a football pitch. pitch like like you can have a look at it there while i have a look at it like is these and listeners at home you can have a look as well if you take out virtual 11 a guy in a virtual reality but like so is that a cloak of hell behind him or like what is that supposed to be i always kind of pictured that as a yeah, cloak it's weird, eh? of hell and he's like jumping through the air or flying through the air and you can see his and then you got like some souls kind of like i don't know on the right yeah. side would like kind of look like damned souls or something like that and then yeah you have a football match down the bottom left hand corner it's tied in with the name of the album which is virtual 11 which allegedly is supposed to um indicate the number of footballers on a team this is very tenuous shit here and then (laughs) um there's the there's the young lad there sitting there playing playing something which i don't even believe was commercially available at the time to be honest but uh, he's sitting there with a vr headset on uh playing some kind of video game like you're what in your early 30s yeah. So when, what year were you born? 89. So you remember 98 fairly well, I'm going to say. I mean, yeah, I guess. I was nine years old, so yeah. Do you remember anybody walking around wearing VR headsets? <laughs> I Like, it's funny because it's kind of gotten big now, right? In the last Yeah, now, maybe since 2016 yeah, like, or something, yeah. But, so back then it was kind of just like, a, I don't know, a, a pipe dream, sort of like. I don't know. It was probably so expensive. Well, I, I like, I, like I said, and people can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I don't remember commercially available virtual reality headsets at the time, but I do remember television programs, and I've spoken about this on a different podcast before. Uh, there was one in the in the UK called Nightmare K N I G H T M A R E, where the contestants went on and wore a virtual reality headset, and they were immersed in a virtual reality world. And as a viewer at home, you saw this and it looked like the most cutting edge technology in the world. But this is like early 90s. But it never it never became yeah. like I don't ever remember it being like a console you could buy for your own home. Uh, the graphics were probably like pretty terrible. Too. Oh, they were awful. I, I've gone back and watched clips on YouTube like and like you'd see a really badly formed hand reaching to grab a cup. And at the time, as a child, you were looking at it going, oh, my God, it's like yeah, a real yeah. hand. Because <laughs> back then, like, video games were that was like I don't know the Super Nintendo exactly uh, yeah Sega Genesis and this looked like yeah. uh, it was a mild step up from that but now it just looks so primitive but like but they were definitely they were definitely trying to sell us VR in the 1990s like it was the next big thing but it didn't actually become the next big thing for a very long time I don't think anyway I think it's only go- I was playing with a VR headset there the uh, Oculus have you have you played one of these no not yet my uh, buddy's big into it so maybe I'll he, he's gonna show me one of these days. I was playing with one there um, a couple of months ago and there was one game. It was just one of the generic games that comes with the fucking headset. Like it wasn't even something you have to buy. But there was one of them where you can walk out of a plank on a on the top of, a, of like a skyscraper. Oh, uh, and cool. then if you step sideways, you fall off the plank and you fall to your death. And I have to say that felt very fucking real. Like wow. It wasn't a hand grabbing a cup in 1992 on, on Channel 4. <laughs> It was it was it was deliberately committing suicide in in a video game, uh, and like there was other things as well, like going on a roller coaster and stuff, which felt realistic as well, but wasn't as kind of scary as the idea of just walking off a plank to your death. But um, but yeah, cool. I don't think those things have really taken hold. So I think like this album, do you know do you know what I find dates the nineties more than anything? It's trying to look current or trying to look futuristic. Um, 
I think that dates, and I think the 1990s is really guilty of that as a decade. Uh, like, I'm thinking of the films that came out at the time. I don't know, Demolition Man springs to mind, Terminator 2. And it's like, I I know that wasn't said in the future exactly, but like Demolition Man certainly was. And like trying to look futuristic or even current is the worst thing you can do to date yourself on. To me, this just looks like the most hideously dated book. Like, if you flip through it even. Yeah. All of the graphics the, are like oh, that grid the, kind of thing. What's that grid shit they have going on in every fucking page? And it's like kind of poor computer Like a graphics. matrix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but then like if you look at something like, I don't know, the film fucking Taken from 2008, which is probably, that's 14 years ago now. Like I, if you, I watched that recently. Wow. Like that, does, that doesn't seem dated at all. Yeah, I saw that a long time ago. Yeah, that's... I'm just thinking of a, of a current-ish example, but that's old enough anyway. Like yeah. that, that does not seem dated. Even though, like, technically it's as old now as, as Virtual Eleven might have been in, I don't know, in, I don't know, in 2012. But um, anyway, those are my thoughts. A very a bang of 90s of it. it. It does look very dated now. It's like, well, and what were 20, 24 years later. And the, did you watch the video for Angel and the Gambler? I can't bring myself to watch Iron Man. Oh my god! Videos, the videos, h- hilarious. <laughs> kind of looks like Star Wars a little bit. I don't know. Like, well, not Star Wars itself, but like the graphics is kind of Star Wars. Yeah. I like I. I have um. I have the uh, Visions of the Beast DVD. I remember I bought it when it came out, and um, it has all the Iron Maiden videos for all their songs on it, and. I remember watching it once and I was just like, I will never watch this again. <laughs> this does not have replay value at all. Their, their videos are hideous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None of them are pretty good, but I did enjoy Angel and the Gambler. I, I feel, well, when we get into the song, we can talk about it. But uh, yeah. yeah. Back to Virtual 11. I, I used to, when I. When I never heard anybody say the name of the album in my head, I called it Virtual XI. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I know 11, the Roman numeral, and, you know, it's the 11th studio album, you know, very yeah. revolutionary of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I used to always think it was, or not, I didn't think it was Virtual XI, but in my head, I always just thought it was. Yeah, yeah. That's no. how you say it. And then I heard someone say Virtual Eleven. Oh, you know, that sounds way better. It's it's one of those things, though. You don't know how it's pronounced until you hear somebody say it. And yeah. back in the pre-internet days, that could be kind of intimidating, especially with, like, heavy metal, where, where you know, there were gatekeepers and people who would mock you if they had half the chance, you know, if you if you said anything wrong. Yeah, you're, you're not a real you, fan. Like, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a real Iron Maiden fan. Name five songs. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that meme with Adam Sandler chasing a girl down the street? Um, I can't. Ah, oh, no, it's really funny. It's like he's he's an old man in the in the meme, or maybe he's just his current age, which is an old man. And it's like a woman that's much younger than him running away from him. And it's like above the woman, it says women wearing heavy metal T-shirts, and above him, it says men asking him to name five songs. <laughs> And he's chasing after like <laughs> it's very good anyway um but yeah the name five songs or the also the like um they're just not knowing not having the knowledge i um i actually uh i i wore an iron maiden shirt at a music festival electronic music festival once and this guy came up to me once and he's like hey you got an iron maiden shirt uh name he said name name three songs and i'm like okay i don't know and then i he was, uh, yeah so then i was like 
Run with the Ancient Mariner Revelations for the greater good of God. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, what's your favorite song? And then we ended up becoming friends after that and i still i'm still in touch with oh, him. oh right even though he was kind of a, he, he was trying to call he was trying to call me out he's like yeah well, you're wearing an iron maiden shirt he's like because yeah. i guess that's not the setting to wear an iron maiden shirt yeah, yeah no that's you know? no, not <laughs> not the setting yet. yeah but i did i got a lot of comments from people because i was wearing a maiden shirt a lot of people were kind of you know mocking it a little bit but most people were like hey cool i'm a maiden fan you know whatever yeah how many maiden shirts do you have uh oh like 10 to 15 okay yeah, i have about 12 to 15 as well. yeah I, it's definitely it's over 10 and it's less than 15 i think yeah um, but you're like you know what like the ones that are buried in the back of the wardrobe they're never going to get worn because they they're not in the the washing cycle, the laundry cycle, if you will. Okay, I have a couple that are medium size that no longer fit. Oh Jesus, no! Yeah, <laughs> my large ones now are even kind of clinging to me. Uh, that's yeah. another story. But um, yes, so virtual XI, I can relate to that. I, I, in my head, I used to pronounce it like that as well. And it's these things you don't know. But like, it's even like the names of people in bands. Like, is it Yannick Gers? <laughs> is it Yannick Gers? I don't know. And like. When I was a young fella, I was shit scared to say that out loud in front of anybody in case I got it wrong. Like, um, but but now you hear people saying it. This maybe that, it had a way. French accent. <laughs> exactly. Blaise Bailey. I am Blaise Bailey. I am Yannick You're listening to Feckin' Metal, <laughs> the yes. podcast of the Feck. I don't have a tagline. Uh, maybe that's where I'm falling down. But oh, nice. Uh, no, no, sorry, no, no. I wasn't throwing shade. <laughs> no shade being thrown. No, um, you're, you're referencing another song. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, I was. Let's pretend that's what I was doing. Um, okay. All right. So anyway, yeah. Afraid to say virtual eleven out loud because who knows what it is. But it is weird. Like. They called the last album the X Factor, which is ten, but like also the X Factor is a well known phrase. So you could kind of let them away with it there. Mm-hmm, it's like, yeah. oh it's the X Factor, so oh it's missing the X Factor. Ooh. Um but now it's just like eleven. These these go to eleven. <laughs> it's like is it a joke? Is it a fucking spinal tap reference almost? Is it like <laughs> were they that fucking jaded with <laughs> naming their albums? They're just like eleven. Like so the next album should have been like Brave New Twelve. Yeah. Like <laughs> Dance of Thirteen. Uh, yeah final 14 um, and fuck off matter of life and 14 no. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, shit you can I, cut I that skipped, out i skipped you can cut there. that out That's fine. no <laughs> uh, i was looking at the uh um, wikipedia page for this album earlier today just to you know last minute preparation mm-hmm. and it, under the section critical reception hmm. it was mostly like mixed to poor and there was one that there's a rating from Martin Popoff. Oh, yeah. From the Collector's Guide to Heavy Metal. And the rating is 0 out of 10. This is bullshit. That's what, that's what it says on Wikipedia. I don't know if that, like, I, I haven't read. I tried to find that article from the Collector's Guide to Heavy Metal. Do you know what? How, how do I, you give 0 out of 10? Well, I, 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 like, this infuriates me. And I've spoken about this on the feckin' check-in before. But most people won't have heard that. So I'm going to say it here. If you're given 0 out of 10, then your rating system should be 1 to 11. Because 0 to 10 is 11 fucking, fucking ratings. So you can't give 0 out of 10 because 0 is not a full number. 
So why don't you just have one to 11 and make one be the lowest and give because it one out zero, of 11? Zero means like there's literally nothing here. Like Yeah, but if one, of you, you, if one is one your lowest. Ten, I, uh, one I could understand. Like if but if one is your lowest, ten, how can you give okay. zero? Like, can you give right. six? Can you give yeah, six that, I, out of five then? That, that's exactly what I have on my note right here. It says, how do you give a zero? Yeah, <laughs> can you... Sorry, so can you... I was, and it got like, me mad. Can like, you give 11 out of 10 then as well? If you really, right, really, really, right. really, really like the app now? Oh, fuck off, Martin Popoff. Oh, yeah, I, 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 ch- I changed my t- mind about you because I read one of your books, which is really good. And now I'm changing my mind back. And so, I mean, if somebody could corroborate that, that'd be good. But I... I tried to find that article and I couldn't find the like how do you how do you justify giving zero out of ten? You can't. That's ridiculous. Yeah, kind of attention seeking, I think. It's like oh, I think, yeah, that's that's kind of what he was doing, just kind of maybe for shock value and being like, you know, this is not Iron Maiden. But even then, like give it a give it a, like if you gave it one out of ten, I could be like, Okay, I kinda understand. But like, I mean, not only is he not only is he giving it nothing, but it also undermines the validity of his entire rating system as well. Right? Yeah. Mathematically undermines it. So it's just like, I mean, uh, anyway, sorry, I could spend all day yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, so there's okay. a, another review from uh, All Music that gave two out of five stars. Um, mm. uh, the dude there was like, okay, on the surface, there's nothing terribly wrong with the record as it delivers all the crunching riffs and demonic horror of their best records. The problem is that there's nothing memorable about the hooks, riffs, or songs, and there's little visceral energy to the music or production. As a result, it sounds lifeless to all but the most devoted fan. Okay, but I mean, I disagree with that. But my, my... Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, so he kind of has some contradiction there, right? We've got crunching riffs, but then... There's nothing memorable about the riffs. Mm. Like, okay, wh- which is it then? Yeah. He should have said nondescript, unmemorable riffs. Yeah. And then, <laughs> There's nothing memorable he, about he, he w- he how, the re- how did he remember the crunch? <laughs> and then he went on to call Blaze Bailey a competent but faceless vocalist. Like, well, what does that mean? Don't know. He doesn't have a face. It's like one of those people in the video of "If you tolerate this, then your children will be next." Do you, are you familiar that. with that? Do you know uh, <laughs> Manic Street Preachers? No. Nope. All right. Well, the video was famous for people walking around. They don't have any faces. Uh, oh. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Yeah. So. Yeah, contemporarily, it wasn't reviewed very well, uh, wasn't rated very highly, and even still, like we said at the start, no one really likes this. But you know what I find? It's kind of, it's kind of, um, it's a zero out of ten, or it's a like, you got those other fans on the other side who's like, I love this album. It's just as good as Number of the Beast, and you're like, okay, hold on a second, yeah, there, buddy. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly not. It doesn't have a song as good as Children of the Damned. It's, it's very different, and that's what I kind of like about Maiden is that you could pick. Like, there's so much variety and so much different style. If mm. you, it, it's hard to get sick of the band, and that, and that's why I like doing stuff like this because, like, I never would have deep deep dive on this album by deeply, myself. Deeply divin. Deeply divin. And uh, yeah, so what do you think? Uh, did you um, apparently when they were recording Virtual Eleven, they had also written four songs that eventually made it made its way onto Brave New World, mm. and that would have been Blood Brothers, 
uh, Mercenary, Dream of Mirrors, and uh, I can't remember the last one. Yeah, I can never but remember the, the last those, one either. Those were... Those was were, it the Nomad, maybe, or something? Or? Yes, yeah, Nomad. Yeah. Nomad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, because those four songs could, like, arguably are better than a lot of the songs on Ritual 11, so it's... And I wonder what those would have sounded like with Blaze. I think Blood Brothers, The Mercenary. What was the other one you said there? Um, Dream of Mirrors? Yeah. As you were saying them, yeah. I, I can picture, or not picture, but like, you know, audibly. Have you ever felt? Yeah. Or, yeah, huge, with huge. Blood Brothers. Yeah, and he, he has recorded that uh, yeah. recently, right? With, I've uh, heard him, Thomas, yeah, with your man, Thomas Zwiji Jajin. Zwijin. <laughs> pronouncing people's names incorrectly humor uh, ca- <laughs> comedy um yes but uh yeah do you know what the thing is they might have just been in the demo stage which is fine like i'm sure like iron maiden are very tight-lipped about all this stuff like they never tell you anything extra they never release anything extra really maybe the x factor was the the only example of that where they had three extra ones they put as b-sides and actual real songs like they don't tell you they don't tell you like in an interview, Adrian Smith doesn't tell you, well, this is a riff I actually had from Seven Son. He doesn't say that ever. And it's like he's almost not being permitted to say it. Whereas somebody from Van Halen will say, you know, when they released a, a different kind of truth, uh, all these songs have been knocking around since the 1970s, early 1980s. And like, I love hearing that because you're like, oh, that's brilliant. And like Def Leppard are always saying that as well. Like, well, this riff was actually around from the Pyromania era and we never actually used it. So we included it on this album. It's a Spocker Lounge, whatever. And um, Iron Maiden never say anything like that. They just, it's always as if all the stuff has been written on the spot in six weeks and recorded and that's it. And like, that is not realistic. These people are musicians. Like, They don't just come up with shit out of nowhere to a deadline anytime they need an album and have no prior relationship with any of those fucking chord sequences. I just don't believe it. Like, Yeah, I was reading about the um, recording process for Virtual 11, and I guess it it was... Because you know how the more, their more recent albums, they kind of, like you say, just kind of each people, each band member would come in with like their own sort of preformed ideas, and then like within six weeks, they have an album written. But this one apparently took like four or five months i guess like in the studio and it was produced by steve harris and uh who else was it again who was, a, was it nigel producer? green i can't remember yeah yeah that's it that's it and steve harris was playing keyboards greeny <laughs> as well yeah. on this uh anyway, i don't know i'm not a huge fan of the when harris takes over the production and, uh, you could tell, like, uh, I don't know. And I was reading um, also from Mick Wall's biography that uh, apparently Rod really wanted to release Future Real as the first mm. single, but then Steve kind of put his foot down and said, no, we have to release Angel and the Gambler. It's just like, okay, like, I don't know. I, I like the song angel and the gambler but like why 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 did you have to insist that that was like that's the first single that is going to be released on do you know what like he's stubborn to a fault but i suppose we often hear of the times when his stubbornness looks silly 
So we hear about the time where he insisted that Angel and the Gambler was the first single, and we go, "Oh, Steve, you silly man!" But we don't yeah. probably hear about the t- we don't probably hear about the times when he insisted on loads of stuff that was actually the correct decision and made the band relevant forty two years later after their debut album. So yeah, it's, it's kind of it's easy to poke fun at the times when he made the wrong decision and he looks stupid, but like we probably don't hear about those other times. Though. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for how, like you were saying, how tight-lipped they are and how tight everything is and how professional even from the early days Mm. you know and he was kind of ruthless in those early days but you could see like uh, i think he kind of he always was thinking decades in advance or or so it seemed you know he was kind of having that long term he always had the long term thinking kind of going on yeah sure even when um I think it was when was it the final frontier steve harris had been known to have said in previous interviews like i always i always thought we'd have 15 albums but he was like saying that in the 90s and then when that came out people were like oh it's called the final frontier he said they were gonna have 15 albums it's yeah he's playing he's playing the long game yeah he he has been playing the long game and rod smallwood i would shudder to think what he has planned he's probably planned stuff for 2032 i'm not even joking he probably has like he's probably like if they're all still alive if they're able to sing if we can have you know, if we can't have Nico, we'll have Blah. If we can't have uh, Yannick, we'll have someone. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked to learn that Rod Smallwood has planned uh, yep. Iron Cyborg 2032. <laughs> <laughs> Rod, the contingency planner. Mm. Okay, so speaking of the future, the first track, the opening song on Virtual Eleven, is called Future Real. Nice segue. Do you know what we're going to have to do here? Sorry, we're going to have to listen to this at the same time. And I forgot about this concept. Um, So we'll get one of these collaborative playlists going here quickly, which is easily done. Well, it's about about a bloke, right? It doesn't know if the future is real or if it's real. (laughs) If reality is real or if the future is real or it's a computer game, right? Sorry. It's too self-indulgent. Um, all right, I'm okay. just going to play the opening bit here because you know we're both on the same thing. Wow, how articulate of me! I'm going to play the opening bit because we we're on both the on thing. the same thing. Now let's go. right i'm gonna stop it (laughs) i'm gonna stop it just before we get to the opening lyrics because that's a different kettle of fish i like that that's a classic sounding riff yes very like straightforward rocker Mm. Uh, there's always that one song on on every album that's kind of the their straightforward rocker yeah yeah maiden maiden style kind of like the uh i don't know speed of light or I know, oh, I know what you mean, yeah. If, if, if we are to rank this, let's say we rank this alongside straightforward rockers from the X Factor to the present day, how would you rank it? We're talking about Man on the Edge, this, The Wicker Man, um, Wildest Dreams, Different World, Eldorado, uh, Speed of Light, 
and we won't we won't include Sinjiu too because I don't know if that has exactly that type of song. So. Stratego probably. Yeah, well, let's not include that one. It's too it's too recent. But of, of those seven of those those seven albums, where would you rank Future Real amongst those? Um, I would probably put Wicker Man on top, and then yeah. Sorry, I landed a very difficult no, question on a, you there, a, completely out to, of the blue. I'm sorry about that. It's good to think about that, you know, because like uh, the newer era of Maiden has kind of those typical. There's usually one per album, and I think you named every single one from each album. So yes, you know, yeah, I guess Wicker Man would be the top, just because it's so like you know, it's it was on the Legacy Legacy of the Beast tour, you know, crowd sing-alongs and all that. But Future Real is unique because it's one of the sh- one of their shortest songs of the whole whole catalog, right? Like yeah. I didn't look this up, but I think it's probably what like the second the second shortest. It's I less think, than three minutes. Ides of March is like a minute fifty five or whatever. And then what 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 would be shorter than Future Real? I don't think if there's any. I don't think there's any. I don't even know. So it's kind of a in a in a league of its own sort of because it's like it's a straightforward rocker, but it's also very short, and that's uncharacteristic of of Maiden. I probably should have said this. Or I probably should have asked you this question after we talked about the song, but um, you're saying anyway. It's up there with Bre- It's up there with the Wicker Man, but maybe you're not quite sure after that. Um, the other songs are El Dorado, uh, Different World. Yeah, not, I would put Future Real above those two songs, and then what else? Um, from Dance of Death, Come Man on the Edge, Wildest Streams. Wildest Dreams, yeah. I would definitely put Wildest Dreams below this. So, yeah, Future Real would be top two out of those seven options. Mm, I'm thinking along the same lines, yeah. I'm thinking uh, Wicker Man, Future Real, maybe Man on the Edge in that order. Okay, anyway, that's the opening riff of the song. I, I've said here that uh, when I say I've said, I, I've noted here, I love the opening riff. It's top made, uh, and it's something... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, it's something that's that was missing from the x factor yeah and it's uh ever since we decided that we we're gonna do virtual 11 you know it's so i've been listening to the album you know over the last couple of weeks and this is always the first song and then it just gets stuck in your head because it's so catchy and then like do you believe what you feel do you believe what you see <laughs> and then, <laughs> so and then that, just, that, that just plays over and over and over in my head like after i hear it a couple of times mm. okay so like we're, we're, i think we're agreed on the opening riff it's 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 urgent it's catchy it's it really it it, it gets your attention from the minute the or the second that the album starts it's in your face uh, question for you have mm-hmm. have you seen you have seen Blaze live recently, right? I wouldn't. Well, no, I wouldn't say recently. I think it was twenty eighteen. I also I also saw him twenty eighteen. I think it was for the second yeah. of the trilogy. Uh, yeah, it was around that did, trilogy time. Did yeah. he play Future Real? I don't think so. I I've seen him twice, and I don't think he played Future Real either time. But it's hard to remember, to be honest. Um, yeah, he didn't. They I, didn't play it uh, when I saw him, and I thought that would be like. That would be a good one for him to play, like you know. And I think he played. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this now, but I don't know if the setlets will be there. I think he played the Angel and the Gambler. Oh, I would have loved if they played that. 
something else. Man on the Edge, maybe? Or when I saw him, he, he played um, Klansman and then yeah. Virus, oh, Lord yeah. of the Flies. He played in a small pub in uh, in Ottawa called the Brass Monkey. Actually, the Brass Monkey's mm. open again, and they um, they're announcing a bunch of gigs. And have you ever heard of um, Beatallica? Yes, <laughs> I just heard of them. They're, they're, I'm, I'm probably everybody's go. got a ticket to ride except me and my lightning. Yeah, man, that's like, and I started listening to them. That's like such an interesting concept. I've never actually listened to them. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you now what Blaze played. Right, so hold on one second. He played Sabaton Open Air on the 18th of August. There is no set list up online for that. But six days later, he played Future Real, Virus, The Angel and the Gambler, and Man on the Edge, and then Lord of the Flies. Now, I would imagine because he had a set a festival slot when I saw him, he did not play a 16-song set. In fact, I know he didn't because he was middle of the day or early on in the day. So I'd say he played maybe an eight-song set. So out of those Iron Maiden songs... Future of Virus. You know, Angel and the Gambler. Okay, I I stand corrected. I'm looking at the set list from the Brass Monkey, August 17th, 2017. He played Future Real as the third song in the set. Future Real, then he played Virus later, and then Klansman, Man on the Edge, and Lord of the Flies. Yeah, I reckon when I saw him, he only played two Iron Maiden songs, as far as I recall, and one of them was Angel and the Gambler because I went up actually I didn't go up I've I've mistold this story before on a different podcast so I'm going to correct myself here and give credit where it's due so I was with my friend Kevin and we went up and we were talking to Absolva his his back in yeah I was talking to those guys too uh, good dudes yeah, nice nice lads yeah. and um, we were like oh what about playing Angel and the Gambler but it wasn't me who said this it was Kevin and your man in Absolva was like oh I wish we could have played any other fucking song <laughs> <laughs> I thought when now, when they what, play it now, don't they shorten it a little bit? They they fasten it, I speed it up. Okay, but they still play. It's like they still they still say all of the "Don't you think I could save you?"s I don't know if they do or if they don't, but they they play it on heavy kind of rock guitar rather than that. Okay, organ, which I'll get to in a bit. Um, so sorry when I saw Blaze in 2012 it looks like these are the kind of Maiden songs he played Lord of the Flies um, Clansman Man of the Edge Future Real Virus and I do remember him playing Virus at that, at that point uh, but anyway there we are right Blaze Bailey I, I am am Blaze the evil virus threatening mankind mankind <laughs> right hold on a sec I need to get back to where I am okay so Future Real um, did you have you seen the cover art uh there's two yeah yeah there's two there's two different cover arts that i yeah let's have a let's have a look see at that yeah okay so future real the one that was official i think was by melvin grant yeah that's by the shite um um, the one by the Derek riggs one is fucking unbelievable uh, I, i was looking it up and i got conflicting sources i guess so is the Derek riggs one the one that kind of looks like a power slave. Yeah, that's Derek okay. Riggs. It, it look yeah okay. It kind of looks like a futuristic power slave, right? Yeah. And then the other one, the official one, I guess. I like the one that was officially released. I I I like it. It looks um. The Eddie kind of looks cool. 
uh, like a Terminator you know it's, it's, sort it's, of. It's, it's it's that fucking bullshit. Well, it's it's more like the uh, somewhere back in t- or somewhere in time, Eddie. I think right in a in a in a fucking like a what's that video game called? Jesus, um, in a what is the video game called? Help me out here. Tried no, the no, stupid game that they had. Oh, uh, Ed Hunter. Hunter. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, I was I was thinking of like an actual video game. <laughs> <laughs> well it is excuse yeah. me it is an actual video game <laughs> <laughs> well hope none of the developers of the original Ed Hunter game are listening to this and in fact I know at least six of them do listen to this <laughs> regularly so they'll be really offended all of the all of the Ed Hunter developers yeah. that's like half of your audience yeah <laughs> are you saying six is half of my audience because it's at least nine <laughs> I know Swilly McGillicuddy listens to this regularly. He was lead developer on uh Oh good old Swid- Swilly. On Ed Hunter, yeah, he went on to work on um I I, I can't keep this joke going, sorry it's it's died. Um McGillicuddy. <laughs> do you know who Don Sherry is? No. No, okay. He's uh he's big in, in Canada. He's like a big in Japan. Co- coaches coaches corner. Uh he was this like old dude who was recently fired for like some saying some insensitive stuff but he's been saying that kind of stuff for years but i guess you know kind of caught up to him finally time so he he has this commercial where it's like oh man (laughs) i i can't even do it it's like uh, Mrs. McGillicuddy, she called us up, up here, a good Canadian kid, blah, 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 blah. He's kind of just like old and like not no coherent thoughts. But, he, <laughs> okay. but he's somehow, somehow he's like one of the 10 most popular Canadians of all time. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I, it sounds actually funny. I might look that up afterwards. Um, yeah, he's it. just, oh man, he's just very boisterous and kind of stupid but anyway all right okay he's funny right. he's a canadian staple okay okay that's good to know about staples in other countries because they're the kind of things that don't travel very well you don't hear about them unless you're actually talking to somebody from that country and they kind of let you in on that kind of like yeah. inside yeah. inside stuff um okay so we listened to the opening riff there a future reel anyway we talked about the artwork that Derek riggs one is miles miles better in my opinion the other thing is is computer graphics and the Derek Riggs one looks like computer graphics but if you actually look into it it's like it's a painting or a drawing like uh, I don't I don't think it looks computer generated I think it looks like um something he would have painted yeah it it actually does like now that I look at it more closely what 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 I'm shocked about is that why they were like I know both sides found the other side difficult to work with which is fine but like how are they picking like yeah. that that Eddie that ended up on the proper single. It's too bad. What, what was the last Derek Riggs cover? Was that Seventh Son? Oh no, he did loads of stuff since then. For sure, he did Future Real. You mean the actual full album cover? No, like the the official one. The official album cover. The official one that he. Seventh Son. No, he did No Prayer for the Dying. Yeah, oh, that he was did. Him. Okay. Um, he didn't do Fear of the Dark though. No, that was Melvin Grant, and he didn't do X Factor. He didn't do Virtual Eleven. He, he did half of Brave New World. He did the Eddie in the Sky. Uh, so he did up to No Prayer, and then like parts of parts of stuff later. Yeah, like I mean, he did the Somewhere Back in Time cover, which was a compilation album, which was basically 
a, a composition of all of his different eddies, but redrawn or repainted. Uh, you know, you know the one with the with the somewhere in time eddie shooting off the top of the pyramid from Paris Slave. Yeah, uh, he's he's done bits definitely like over the years. He's done lots of bits, just not, and he's done T-shirt designs as well, but he just hasn't done. Uh, what do you what do you think of the um, the Eddie from the Legacy of the Beast, like the the one from uh, that they play kind of the last four songs or last uh, what the Devil Horns Eddie? Yeah, yeah, the one that's like very gruesome it's, looking. It's like a it's like a it's like a body from Doom. That's what I think. It yeah, is. Like yeah, that's what I think yeah. too. And I think it's kind yeah. of like I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of it. It's like a, a Baron of Hell from Doom. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Doom, uh, I love that game, man. Yeah, me too. Um when I make my next my next patch jacket, I have a Doom patch that I'm gonna put on it, even though it's not heavy metal, but like if Doom is it not is, heavy metal. It is pretty damn heavy metal. And if the, that's the wrong then I don't want to be right. <laughs> yeah. The soundtrack from Doom is pretty heavy metal. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've I've talked about this before. But I I have all these heavy metal patches, like lots of deadly ones, but I also have a Doom patch that I found online and I was like, I'm putting that on, I don't care. Uh, fuck the haters. Yeah. I like how we were worried that we were about that we only well i i had only prepared the first two songs but here we are like <laughs> yeah god help an hour, the an hour and 15 minutes in don't don't i don't <laughs> want to know don't tell we've me on, we've only <laughs> we've only talked about the opening riff <laughs> right so riff. i'm gonna take us back to 20 seconds in right I'm, i don't i don't care in, what other, yeah, don't care what other tangents you have you they can wait yeah. till later uh so we're gonna play when it, when he starts singing the lyrics this is blaze bailey it's the second outing in iron maiden <laughs> Didn't go d- down very well the first time, and, and here we go. He's co-written this song. Yes, he has. It's uh, Harris Bailey, actually, is the co-write. I'm running out of my time, I'm running out of breath. And now it's getting to, I can't sleep at night. In the day, feel like death. I'm getting in my teeth, I feel the closing in. I've got to say that I'm scared, I know they'll win. Even so, I'm prepared. Can you believe what you hear? Can you believe what you see? Can you believe what you feel? Can you believe what is real? Future real? What is real? Right. So let's have a look at those lyrics there. I'm running out of my time. I'm running out of breath. Right. It sounds like a man who's kind of urgent, anxious. Uh, and now it's getting so I can't sleep at night in the day. I feel like death. Yep. Then I, next, I can next, I can relate to that because I have trouble sleeping sometimes. So yeah, no, that's fair enough. I I'm, I'm not I'm, night. Par- paranoia. Sorry, he's paranoid. He's running out of time. Yeah, I'm I'm not mocking these lyrics at all. I'm getting in far too deep. Yeah, I'm getting in far too deep. I I feel them closing in. I've got to say that I'm scared. I know they'll win. Even so, I'm prepared. And then he's saying, "Do you believe what you hear? Do you believe what you see? Do you li- do you believe what you feel? Do, can you believe what is real? Future real?" What is real? Do you believe what you see? Do you believe what you feel? <laughs> do you believe what is real? Future real? I am Blaze Bailey and I am future real. real. <laughs> Sorry, I love you, Blaze. Uh, it's just, it's just so iconic, Blaze. But and you know, this it, is... it's written. You can tell that it's co- that, that he's written. It's it's co-written by him, but you can tell that he's he's written this for his his vocal range, right? Like yes, it's right. It's yeah. right in his Although, wheelhouse. 
it so what I wonder here what's the breakdown in these writing credits right so it says Harris slash Bailey so Harris is obviously the main songwriter but then if Bailey isn't writing the lyrics what is he writing so I wonder did Harris write all of the music and and go and say to say to Bailey I want I want a syllable on each of those right I want a syllable on each right you listening right write it down right yeah. I always wonder about that too. How do you get? How do you get like? Oh, that's exactly what happened. How do you get a writing credit in Iron Maiden? I've heard you write a fucking lyric for each. I've heard. I've just recently started listening to Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast, and he's like, "I wonder how the rest of you know the rest of the band feels about you know." because it's just Steve Harris who has this writing credit. So yeah. how, how well, does the rest of the band feel that? Because mm-hmm. they probably like the guitarists would write their own riffs, uh, yeah. or maybe not the riffs, but but certainly the solos. Yeah, yeah. So like no, the I solos, mean, like, I guess, don't get any love on on writing credits. Yeah, maybe and maybe yeah. the riffs. Like I, I don't know. It's kind of it's weird. How do you? Do you know what? Do you know? Like I think it differs from band to band. So for give an example i believe you two split the writing credits four ways for every song since their inception now they have the luxury of having had the same members since their inception so there's never been any different members in in you two for over 40 years since the first album anyway so that's kind of easy for them to do other bands where like people come and go it's different but then you see you see bands like guns and roses where I, I don't know how familiar you are with guns and roses but like something like november rain or strange it'll just say rose so it's like Axel Rose wrote the whole thing, but then you're like, there's iconic solos in those songs. There's like, yeah, excellent guitar pieces, really, really, um, important rhythm guitar. Even the drumming, the drumming in November Rain is like it's a huge part. It's a it's a, right, it's a right, dramatic right. part of the song, and you're like, how how can you just attribute that to one person? I don't know. But it also requires people in bands to be pushovers, I believe. And that's where people's personalities come in, where they don't want to be confrontational uh, and they just accept what is presented to them so that they can have an easy life. And I think Steve Harris is probably one of those people who has such a personality that he might be maybe somewhat intimidating to people. He's like, right, well, I'm getting the right and credit on that song. And then nobody argues with him. Yeah, maybe because... You think about, I don't know, even, well, okay, this isn't a Harris writing credit, but Empire of the Clouds is a Dickinson solo writing credit. Mm. But the drumming in Empire of the Clouds is just probably one of Nico's best performances, in my my opinion. And, like, it's just so, you know, he's got so much going on in that that song. So Here's the thing about Nico, right? I think Nico as we know, can be confrontational. We've all heard Mission from Ari, and we, we know, like, sure, he's told us that he falls out with Steve Harris nearly every time they write an album. But at the same time, I think Nico probably wants an easy life. So if Nico was all of a sudden going to become a songwriter, they're going to be looking for fucking songs from Nico every time they write an album. And, like, I don't know if he has that in him, to be perfectly honest. Like, we all know he wrote part Age of, of Innocence? Yeah, New Frontier, wasn't it? About the gloaming. Oh. Oh, right. Was it New Frontier? New Age, Frontier, Age, yeah. Right, yeah, okay. I thought it was Age of Innocence. But, uh, like, if you're going to put your name in the hat as a songwriter, then you're going to be expected to contribute songs. And you're going to have to have to go through that presumably demoralizing process 
each album cycle where your songs are rated and reviewed by Steve Harrison. You're told like an episode of Dragon's Den or whatever you call it over in the yeah, yeah. woods. Uh, what do you call it over there? We do have Dragon's Den here. We oh, have Dragon's Den. What do they call it in America? They call it something different. The, the, the something oh, the like Shark it. Tank or something? Shark yeah. Tank. Yeah. <laughs> something, <different. laughs> something like that. I don't know. He's like, I, I've written a song about... No, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Your song yeah, is Steve's shit. Steve's like, Nicholas. no, that's shit. That's shit. Yeah, I'm out. Your song is shit. You're shit. You're a shit drama. Your yeah. hair is receding. I'm out. The snare. It sounds like shit. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, I wonder who's like, Nico's like, I want to give you 110% of the writing credit for no money. It's like, no, I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, those terms are not acceptable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, you you would assume like that that has to be a fucking you know, uh, emasculating. <laughs> I don't. That's not the right word really when it's all males involved. But like, it must be like a um, you must feel like a bit of a. Sp- you feel a little bit kind of uh, like a, a, empty. A little yeah, bit. Like, 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 per- like a bit of an idiot, purposeless. Like, yeah. Bit. Like who knows how many how many songs like Dave Murray, poor Dave Murray has submitted and weren't accepted. I, I'd say he might be he, like, presumably he he throws in a few each album and like they're just like no 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 okay one okay no no yeah okay one no no no, uh, you know like it's so I would assume that Nico is probably yeah what's just, what's what's the threshold for getting a writing credit like how much do you have to actually contribute. To an Iron you know Maiden song to get a writing credit, and this is what we'll never know until somebody writes a tell-all book, and yeah. maybe it'll be Rod Smallwood actually after they all die and Rod's still alive, and he's like, "Ari was a cunt." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking, he said we had, we should release Angel and the Gambler as the yeah. first. Oh, Ari was a right cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't let Nick out of any songs. Nick wrote Still in Heaven Part Two. <laughs> Ari said no. Nico wrote. I don't know half why the I'm catalog. speaking. I don't know why Rod Smallwood is from London in this impression, but uh, he well, is. I can't, I can't uh, decipher the different British accents, so I think you're off the hook for, in my book. I went to Harry and he told me that Nico hadn't wrote nouts, and he was right cunt about it, or something like that. Anyway, blimey, blimey, indeed. No, I should stop. Um, anyway, so <laughs> we're talking about somebody here in future real. Do you, do you believe what you hear? Do you believe it? Like, is it that, real or fantasy? Have we heard this yeah. theme before? And like in, in Mick Wall's book, when Steve Harris did an official interview for the official biography, he did say something as basic as like, you can't tell whether it's real or in a video game or whatever. I don't have the book here right in front of me, but it's basically that. I've read it, I've read it many times. And um, that's that's fine. That's a very easy and palatable It's about a bloke. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't know if he's in fantasy or if he's. But, but when you assume that Blaze Bailey wrote presumably some of these lyrics, I doubt that Blaze was going to Steve with the 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 does. I'd say Steve was going to him with with that, and Blaze was filling in the. I think Blaze. Words. I think Blaze wrote the lyrics because if you yeah, look I think at so a lot, well. a lot of Blaze's solo material is kind of like this, right? It's a lot of like futuristic, yeah, and science fiction sort of um, yeah but when you look when you look at this i'm getting in far too deep i feel them closing in i've got to say that i'm scared i know they'll win even so i'm prepared is he preparing for his exit from iron maiden oh wow yeah i hadn't thought of that let's have a look at that again right sorry i'm getting in far too deep we all know he was he couldn't sing in the live shows i feel them closing in wow 
You just blew my mind. I feel them closing in. Bruce Dickinson is releasing these great sounding solo albums. Right, with Adrian Smith. Right, and they sound amazing and they sound like Iron Maiden. I feel them closing in. I've got to say that I'm scared. Of course he was. Of course he was scared. Yeah, no, they'll win. Oh my God. I know they'll win. Of course they're going to win. It's Bruce and Adrian. They're biting at your heels, brother. Even so, I'm prepared. Of course you're prepared because you've got Silicon Messiah in your back pocket. You'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah, we should we should comment on how admirable Blaze was even in his exit, right? And then his I think we solo. will. I think we I think we will, but I think maybe towards the the end of this right album review. But, but yeah, that's uh, you just blew my mind there because it's yeah, like that's my that's getting my in take. far too deep. And you know, on the on the tour for Virtual Eleven, they had to cancel a bunch oh, yeah. of, a bunch of shows because his his vocal whatever it was like his his voice was getting too strained or whatever it was. <laughs> Blaze was not able for the the range of the vocals, the frequency of the concerts, or the stress of the job, I don't think, in Iron Maiden. And all of those three things made a, a shit sandwich. <laughs> yeah. But then like he left it, it seemed like his exit was so graceful and that he always like he's every every show he does, he talks to fans. Like I, I got to talk to him when I saw him and He's always a classy, and he always has good things to say about Maiden and like everything. But you know what? Like, so I think he chose a path. There are two paths, two main paths you can choose when you get fired from a major band, and you expect you to have a career in heavy metal afterwards. You can choose to be bitter, like or you can choose yes, or KK Downing, or you can choose not to be bitter and you can take the high road, like Tony Martin. Uh, and I tried I tried to get Tony Martin to give me some dirt on Black Sabbath in the recent interview I did with him because he was giving me his stock answer. So I was like, how did it feel to be, you know, let go from Black Sabbath to make way for Ronnie James Dio yet again in the 1990s? And he gave me his stock answer that he'd given on a million podcasts. And I went, forgetting about all the business stuff, how did you feel? How did it make you feel? Did it hurt your feelings? And he was just like, uh, 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 uh. and then he went into the stock answer again. I was like, oh, he's mm. never actually going to tell me the truth. He's, he's just not going to. He's programmed himself to not right. tell me the honest truth. And Blaze Bailey is the same. Blaze Bailey and Tony Martin. They were ousted from big bands. That was their claim to fame. They've made a career out of it ever since. But they're never going to tell you how they actually felt. Really. I don't think. Because they've chosen. Didn't Blaze sort of let on, though, that he was he was hurt I, like he felt like you know, it's I would loved being yes in Iron Maiden, and but, it was it was shitty. But then he kind of rallied, and but like, he never he never really put he a never felt spin sorry. On it. He he never felt sorry for himself, right? He never puts a negative spin on it. He never says anything bad about the people in the band. And to me, I don't know how you couldn't feel bad things about the people in the band who led you on, and then told you to fuck off. Like, they were leading him on. They were writing songs for a third album with him. They let him believe that he was going to contribute to a third album. While clandestine negotiations were happening with Bruce Dickinson. Which I think is kind of underhanded and sneaky. And also, it's good business and it's the nature of being in a band. But there's no way he kind of been hurt by that and felt bad and nasty things about that. But he decided... Do you think on some level he knew? I think on some level he knew, yeah. When he's writing yeah. lyrics like that. Based on the, yeah, man, those lyrics, it's kind of 
very telling. I'm getting in far too deep. I feel them closing in. I've got to say that I'm scared. I know they'll win. That that absolutely just blew my mind. That's so cool. Well, what else is it about? Right, yeah. Like, what else did he have to feel paranoid about at, in, when he's in, on top of the world in, like, Iron Maiden? I guess if you, I don't know. It, the theme of the song is, like, he's in some sort of virtual reality and then which is based in the future and his future is he's going to be sacked from iron maiden that's his fucking (laughs) reality that's his future yeah yeah it's that's and i think that's what everyone else thought as well the music press certainly thought that they were predicting this at the time like when is bruce it wasn't like is bruce dickinson coming back to iron maiden it's when is bruce dickinson going to come back to iron maiden especially since he like teamed up with adrian and was making like really good music exactly so when he's saying what is real i wonder if he actually did have insomnia and paranoia back then and that was probably part that was probably part of the reason why they had to cancel some shows if he was having some he probably had some mental health yeah issues back then then, that's but like then when he's saying i I mean like i know this is kind of rattled off as like a catchy chorus but he's like do you believe what you hear can you believe what you see what he was hearing and seeing at the time were rumours about Bruce Dickinson coming back and articles in magazines about Bruce Dickinson coming back to Iron Maiden. That's what he was hearing and what he was seeing. He's like, do you believe it? Can you believe it? I'm getting in too deep. I feel them closing in. I know they'll win. That's this To me, that's what this song is about. It's about his impending yeah. exit from Iron Maiden. Yeah. I, I didn't make that connection until you mention it but it's like so obvious now and any analysis that i've heard of this song or that i've read nobody mentions that so how mm. does that but it's so obvious well this is all my opinion but i like to get under the fucking hood of people's right, emotions right, right. and then <laughs> and their feelings well, i i think i think a lot of the time when people analyze lyrics or talk to people and interview them they don't ever actually ask the person how they felt or they don't ever actually consider how the person felt at the time they like to think like in artistic terms oh they're referencing blur and it's a symbolism and blah 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 but yeah, it's actually it's, surface level bullshit right they don't yeah or like it's go you know deep into how how they felt it's a human being at the end of the day here like and this is you're dealing with human emotions and it, when he gets sacked from iron maiden that's somebody's life that's like unemployment <laughs> you know like he's on unemployment benefit he's gone down to the dole office social welfare and he's gone drawing his social welfare and like it's like if i were in iron maiden in 1998 that's how i'd be feeling that's how i'd feel when i'm reading magazine articles in kerrang counting down to when bruce dickinson is going to return and i'm sitting there going i'm recording a fucking album with them you cunts and i'm going on the world tour stop yeah. writing these stories yeah i can't stop. imagine what it must have felt like for him stop perpetuating this i'm here fuck you and then okay well so should we play the next verse i was going to get into the next verse. sorry yeah let's play the next verse whenever anyone seems to treat me like a freak it makes me see i'm the only one who feels that i know what is Man, that is so. It's so obvious. 
When you're reading this, then I will be gone. Yeah, that's it, it's kind of like a suicide note. Bruce was back within a fucking year of this. Yeah, and so most and most people, like you and I, we didn't hear this album until the mid two thousands, right? And no. Blaze was gone. So I'm sure most people, you know, most people that listened to Virtual Eleven for the first time would have been after 1999. Absolutely, he knew this was an obscurity. Wow, like, Iron, Maiden were their, Iron Maiden were at their least popular. He knew this was an obscurity. He knew. He was predicting the future. That's why it's called Future Real. He's the only one who feels that he knows what is real. Although that one maybe maybe more like other people knew. Other people could see, you know, that Bruce is probably. Do you know what I tell you? Everyone in back. the band, everyone in the band was probably like um, <clears throat> pandering to him, or like um, what? No, not pandering. Yeah, leading leading word. him on, right? Yeah, but like they were they were probably like um, glad handing him. Oh no, Blaze, it'll be fine. Don't worry, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Like even in the official auto my. Uh, the official Iron Maiden autobiography written by Mick Wall in 1998, at that time, they were hyping Blaze. But also, you must believe they were also trying to seduce Bruce into coming back. Because those things don't happen overnight. Contracts have to be fulfilled. You have to, you know, oh, how long are you under contract to Columbia Records for? Okay, so you have to release one more album. Okay, after that, would you be interested? You know, like, it's not just yeah. something that just happens like that. It's like, all right, okay. Then we're like, we can get out of this deal we have with this shit label in South America for these two Blaze albums. And then after that, we'll be free. We'll sign a new record deal, blah, blah, blah. Like, that wasn't just something that happened in 1999 on a Tuesday and then Bruce was back in the band. That was in the works in 1998, right when this album was happening, right when that book was being for written. For sure. Absolutely, Without a it, shadow wasn't, of a it wasn't just a you know spur of the moment decision. Yeah, Definitely and when you're reading, happening. and when you're reading this, then I will be gone. Maybe then you will see. Oh my god, that is mind blowing. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I wish, I wish I had have come to this conclusion. I feel, I feel stupid that I didn't make that connection. But you're neither did I. I wish I had come to this conclusion when I interviewed Blaze a year ago. But right, I yeah. Oh, man, that would have been a great question to ask him. Did I hadn't you write the lyrics? dove and divin into the album. Yeah, we didn't divin. Uh, yeah, you could have asked him, what What were you, like, how did, so first of all, did you write the lyrics to Futurial? And I guarantee you how did you feel when you were writing them? And so, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure, he, like, based on what I've read, he wrote the lyrics to it, so... Yeah, that's so cool. So then we get into the solo. There's only one solo as far as I could tell. Is that just one solo around 129? It Apparently there's only one solo by Dave, which is rare. Usually there's at least two solos, right? Sorry, one, one other thing I've written here as well is uh, when you're reading this, then I will be gone. I was like, is that hiding in plain sight? It's like... I think that's been hiding in plain sight for years. Yeah. Line. Yeah, I think I don't I've never heard uncovered. anyone bring it up. You've never. uncovered the uh, man, I think that's absolutely like And the song obvious. is called Future Real. It's like about the future. And he said when you're reading so, this, then I would It's be so gone. obvious now that we are <laughs> deep diving in now, but uh, yeah. oh man, yeah. That's uh for sure. For sure he was thinking that. Uh and I, I've also written here, is it about the news? So like News magazines at the time, news articles were about Bruce Dickinson's return, imminent return to Iron Maiden. Rumors about his imminent return. Anyway, but um, there we go. Because of uh, his prolific solo career? But 
I think it was because more so his shift in sound in a solo career to more to a and more also heavy metal teaming sound. up with the Adrian teaming up with Adrian Smith like like um Rob Halford said in his, his his autobiography he did an album called Resurrection which sounded like Judas Priest after two or three or four really experimental albums and he said this was his audition to rejoin Judas Priest and to me I've said this before or theorized it before Bruce Dickinson doing Accident of Birth and then later Chemical Wedding with Adrian Smith that was his audition to rejoin Iron Maiden he realized his solo career didn't work Especially after Skunk Works, he was like, all right, I tried it, okay, at least I fucking tried it. You know, I used lots of different musicians, I tried lots of different things. Then he went back to heavy metal. Then he went back to Adrian Smith with heavy metal. Adrian Smith was doing fuck all, really. They were, in my mind, they were auditioning to rejoin Iron Maiden. And it was a successful audition, because they're still there today. It's a very, yeah, that seems, yeah, very plausible hypothesis. But it seems obvious now, right? I'm not that good at this, so I have written here, <laughs> solo, nice, fastly melodic, and then a switch from D to G there, maybe. D to J. So D to G is Dave T. <laughs> well, last or, name sorry, is D to G. J, sorry, not D to G. Uh, D to J, maybe. Uh, but uh, let's have a listen here and see see what we think. <laughs> No switches. No, you're right, yeah. No, there's no switch there. So that's weird, right? Usually each guitarist gets a solo. I don't think it's a switch. I do like the way they play a riff here now that's like reminiscent of the intro riff, but slightly different. Yeah. And then we're back into the intro riff, but um, that's kind of pretty much the song. Like we, we're, we're back into the intro riff and he, he asks us a few more times if we believe what we hear and what we see. And actually, I, I think this is a, it's a fantastic song. What's your take on this song, Andrew? I really do enjoy it as well. And uh, yeah, it's it's short. And, you know, uh, the chorus is very catchy. Like I said before, it's like every time I listen to this song, it's in my head for like the next week. So that's usually a good a good sign. Like, I don't know. It, it's uh, the vocals are right in Blaze's range so he's not like trying to like there's a few songs where he's trying to maybe from the x factor when you know kind of higher higher in the uh higher octaves and so this is kind of more in the low in his lower range but he can kind of deliver very powerfully yes i will i will agree and say the same yeah um yeah so that's track one in the bag and i think for the purposes of brevity, we're probably only going to cover two tracks on this episode. <laughs> but that, you know what? I think people have they they probably come to expect lengthy episodes from these calls, from these chats. Yes. So that's what they're going to get. I would think so. And there's a lot of tangents between you and I. These these have been very popular. These have been my some of my most popular episodes are, are chats about Senjutsu. So I think people like them because they kept tuning in for episode two and episode three of, of that series. So. Um, so let's not change the format up. Uh, what did I say about uh, 
fixing things that aren't broken something like that i don't know if it ain't broke don't fix it yeah that's the one yeah. <laughs> and just like that <laughs> that old adage uh, okay so the next song on virtual 11 unfortunately is the angel and the gambler the lead single <laughs> you might say the red-headed stepchild of iron maiden no offense to red-headed people or stepchildren well they don't have souls so <laughs> that's true so on two counts there um so uh all right let's just take a quick listen to the intro of this song okay we're gonna we're gonna listen to the intro here So, so far so good. That intro is kind of guitar-based, mid, mid-paced. mid Reminds me a bit of Lord of the Flies, but it doesn't remind me of too many other Iron Maiden songs. What say you? Yeah, actually, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. I hadn't made that connection before. I haven't really uh, given this song too much, you know, too much of my attention until this, this podcast. But I, and I told you last night that I, I had a hot take yes song. please <laughs> is is it relevant yet or do we have to wait a bit longer uh, i think uh, i think it's relevant okay now. please please uh, tell us i would say okay well maybe it's maybe it's not so hot but don't backtrack on your hot take it is yeah. <laughs> so i was listening i just burned myself on the mic from know, the hotness of your take I, I was listening to it maybe like a few months ago and um with Chelsea, who's my fiance, I've mentioned her on the show, um, and I was kind of like, okay, this is widely regarded as one of Maiden's worst songs. Yes, and so we listened to it, and we were both like bopping along the whole time, and like loved. I, I, I don't know, I love this song, and I, I will, uh, without shame, say it's one of my favorite songs on the record. And that's that's my hot take. Oh, I thought it was going to be hotter than that. Okay. Yeah, but and yeah, I would. Okay, so the hot the hot part of it is that I would I enjoy this song more than I would more than I do the Klansman. No, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a hot cue, take. Cue 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 the crucifixion. <laughs> Why don't worry? I have the the cross sorted sourced from IKEA. It's been posted to your house. Perfect. And you're gonna be. I just I I I feel like it's you know it it, it gets a lot of hate. It does, rightly and, so. And and uh, yeah, uh, rightly so because of all the fucking re- repetition of the, of the chorus. But there's a lot to enjoy there as well. Like I think um, Nesbit made an edited version of it and mm. he took out some of the cheesy sounding synths edited exactly and took, edited is the key word there right right and the, and also the um the music video is only four minutes long so they actually cut out um so they, they go directly into the solo after the first chorus mm. in in the, the music video yeah but that's not the song we're listening to here last, we're listening to the album version right we're here. listening we're listening to the album version and you know 
what once we get into the lyrics i think there's there's a purpose behind all of the repetition okay well let's just play where we cut off from before right so we only listen to right. the intro guitars as i said so far so good you've given your thoughts on the entire song it's which catchy. is fine which is fine yeah. but let's play this part Organ, offensive organ, offending right. me offensive, now. Yeah, it's offending me. Yeah. I'm offended. Harris is playing that too, right? Is Steve on drugs? What's he doing here? It's very cheesy sounding for sure. I, I will admit to that. It's fucking. It's it's. It's, I love it. Though, it's Camembert, oh, fucking covered in cheddar, wrapped just, in brie. The um, the note that I have at twenty seven seconds, which we were just listening to, is synths, kind of cheesy sounding, simple beat, love it. <laughs> I said, I said, offensive organ. That's what I said. Uh, and cheesy I said, is what I have. Was Steve on drugs? Uh, was my next question. Steve, there. Uh, did you see his uh, his quote about when uh, how the idea came to him? Let's say he was on drugs. <laughs> Probably. But so this is the quote that I found. It says, this was, the, this was from an idea that I had when I was driving on the M4 motorway to Wales. Thank God I had a small ca- cassette recorder with me. Thank God. Yeah. No. Damn you, God. <laughs> the, Damn you the, to the hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, God actually appears in this. Uh, Damn you to hell with the gambler. The theme of God appears in the song. Anyway. The idea reminded me of the Who slash UFO, so I took it in that direction. It's got a very 70s rhythm feel to it, which I like quite a lot. I can understand why he thinks this might sound like the Who. I can understand why he might think it might sound like Baba O'Reilly, but like he's really, really missed the mark with that. Like It's like, so far, the, the mark is a dot to him. So... <laughs> <laughs> right, the line is a dot to you. It's so far past the line. <laughs> so, um, what do you think if if they didn't have that cheesy synth slash organ, offensive organ? What do I think in, if they didn't have that? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I think. I t- the lyrics are fucking completely pedestrian. There is absolutely nothing to hang your hat on in those lyrics. And let's just play some of them because, like, I I don't think the song is terrible, right? But it really tries to convince me that it is terrible. It really tries to convince me. It tries hard to convince me that it's terrible. Uh, okay. So I'm going to play it from like 103 where he starts. No, talk. no, 52. 52. 52. Yeah. Okay. Play from 52. Roll, roll of the dice. That's where it starts. Oh. You better go back
Okay, actually, upon listening to those again and reading them while I listen to them and yep. considering what I just said about Future Real and the fact that this was written solely by Steve Harris, offensive synths aside, I'm going to say perhaps this song was written about experimenting with Blaze Bailey as a vocalist. Huh. And a gamble. The gamble that that was. So, roll of the dice, take a spin of the wheel. Out of your hands now. Well, it is, because he's got a new singer. So, how do you feel? But you're not going to win. You better go back again. Back to Bruce. Perhaps. Back again. Back again to Bruce. Do you feel <laughs> lucky or do you feel scared? Take what luck brings and be devil may care. But you're down on your luck. We knew they were. They are down on their luck. And what will the next day bring? Nothing but poorly attended concerts and bad performances. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe this is written about his experience having chosen a, a singer that wasn't quite suitable for Iron Maiden and his regret, his buyer's remorse uh, on the gamble he took with Blaze Bailey. But that is probably quite a stretch <laughs> for most people. So we're two songs in and both songs you've made the connection to blaze's impending exits look at it actually roll of the dice lightning, take a, roll of the dice take lightning a strikes of the twice so like everyone gave harris <laughs> shit for um and lightning strikes twice could be about bruce coming back oh my god it's a fucking concept album <laughs> Maybe lightning, lightning strikes twice, and strikes it fucking twice. did. It did. You predicted That's the future. That's so funny, man. <laughs> but no, let's look at this again. Okay, right. That's let's a bit at tin. Let's look at tin foil hat. <laughs> Roll of the dice, take a spin of the wheel. Right, that was the, you know. Let's get Blaze in. Oh, Blaze, he's gonna Right, out of your hands now. So how do you feel? Well, I feel kind of shit because I made the fucking wrong choice. You're not going to win. You better go back again. Back to Bruce. And the next song is called Lightning Strikes Twice. My That's God. fucking hilarious. My man. God. <laughs> this is a concept uh, album I'd... about the departure of Bruce Dickinson. <clears throat> Blaze Bailey's coming into the band and then his eventual departure for the return of Bruce too Dickinson. Funny. <laughs> That's too funny. And so the notes that I have here are not about that. <laughs> of course they're not. <laughs> <laughs> so... The way the way it's kind of written is like the first the first couple of verses I believe are speaking from the perspective of the angel and then it goes into the perspective of the gambler. Yeah. So anyway, um the first that first verse you're not going to win, you'd better go back again. It's kind of mockingly saying you know, any gambler. Mm. And I've had my own experience with gambling. I used to be kind of... Me too. I was a big, uh, big it, gambler. Big gambler. We, we, yeah, we had this conversation, mm. I think, a couple of days ago, right? And uh, so I used to play blackjack a lot. Uh, you, you said you used to play roulette. Roulette. And a bit of blackjack as well, but mainly roulette, so yeah. Take a spin of the wheel. Mm. And, I did. You know, you're not going to win, but you're, you're going to be back. You're going to be back again, right? Yeah. Like, so... And so... When it says you're not going to win, but you'd better go back again, mm. that's kind of a contradictory statement. Well, that's how every gambler yeah. feels, isn't it? Right. Like you feel like you you, you kind of know that you're you're fighting a losing battle, mm. but you'd better like I can't not go back. But it's not the wins that make you return; it's the losses. Just like when Steve Harris lost Bruce Dickinson. Right. So um, I think I've 
read that um, when you when you lose money or or vocalist money <laughs> in your brain it releases dopamine yeah and it kind of it keeps you coming back again yeah. kind of yeah. like a like any kind of illicit drugs mm-hmm. similar to that mm-hmm. like when you when you're playing a, let's say you lose a big hand yeah if you look at uh, the, if you measure the, your brain mm. waves or whatever yeah it's similar to when you like take a hit of some kind of I, I don't worry I, I've read all of the same literature and, and studies and things that you've read as well yeah yeah I absolutely agree 100% and then the next verse uh, take what your luck brings and devil may care I think that devil may care just kind of means like reckless yeah devil may care it's, you're it's, recklessly going yeah. like do down your luck so what's the next next day bring and then it shifts it shifts for, to the perspective of the gambler I think so yeah so and then it switches back to the perspective of the angel in the next verse but now so if we if we think now it's the perspective of the gambler or blaze he's lost in a maze or blind in the haze what does it matter you know he's kind of just doing this without any purpose that's oh man I think still it's still blowing my mind the only part that gets me is so why did you send an angel to mend? Why yeah, so why did you send, so why did is, God send Oh I I think yeah. I get this now actually. So why did you send an angel to mend? So it's saying, why did you send me a broken angel? One I have to mend. A fallen angel. <laughs> yeah. So why did you send me this angel I have to mend, I have to fix in order to make him good enough to replace Bruce Dickinson, which in fairness he wasn't a broken angel, he was an actual angel, an archangel. <laughs> I have another note here about uh, those the two lines adrift on the ocean, afloat in a daydream. Hmm. It reminded me of the parchment, you know, a slumber and a sunder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, Steve was coming into his own here as a as a as a fucking um, oh, what was I gonna say? Like I, like somebody who doesn't answer to anybody who's like, those are the lyrics, and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like stubborn, yeah. stubborn geezer, curmudgeon. Maybe no, not no. a curmudgeon. I don't know. Neil Young would be a curmudgeon. Neil, Neil Young is a curmudgeon. That could be another tangent. Let's avoid that one. Yes, it's another hour and forty <laughs> minutes podcast. Oh, there's a door opening and closing. Right. So if we if we continue, I think it goes back to the perspective of the angel. Okay. Oh, sorry. You want me to play that there? Hold on a sec. Yep. I'll just rewind it a small bit. Uh, 142 is a note. There you go. Let's make decisions before it's too late. Take all your chances. Take all of the red. A roll of the dice. A head of the game again. Nothing to lose, but so much to gain. A little danger. It goes without saying, but what do you care? Oh my god. <laughs> You're gonna go in the end. Oh my god. <laughs> right, so my take on this, and I think you know oh what I'm gonna god. say is Best make decisions before it's too late, right? Well it's time to get Bruce back before it's too late. Right. Take all your chances, take hold of the reins, speaks for itself. A roll of the dice ahead of the game again. Oh or let's not get into again and again. But like honestly no, Bla- Blaze, he they were Blaze ahead of the game. Say again. They were ahead of the game. They were ahead of the game 
again because they were they knew they were getting Bruce back even when he was writing these lyrics to oh Snake my God. Snake Harris <laughs> he was like I'm ahead of the game I'm getting Bruce Dickinson back you idiot Blaze you idiot man idiot. we're gonna find this theme on every song in this record <laughs> oh yeah I'm determined to find this theme every song I'm gonna find this theme on songs that neither of them wrote uh, that's so funny that I like I didn't make that connection until until live next bit until next bit that we just next bit that we just yeah. heard nothing to lose but so much to gain a little danger Come on. yeah it goes without saying you're it, gonna what do you care what do you care you're gonna go in the end exactly you're gonna die in the end you have nothing to lose we tried the blaze experiment it didn't Holy work if we shit. get bruised back it's obviously how has nobody be made this let's just connection fucking yet. do it i don't know because they haven't actually looked at the, the lyrics properly like the, so the note the note that i have like is kind of a little bit more introspective i didn't make that connection about blaze and bruce so like the note that i have like nothing to lose so much to gain uh, a little danger goes without saying kind of like anything that's worthwhile in life can be a little bit you know maybe danger is not the right word but uncomfortably out of your comfort zone Mm. anything that makes you you know live life to the full will kind of be a little bit dangerous or out of your comfort zone but then you know yeah. what do you care you're gonna go in the end so like kind of just you know live live every day like it's your last sort of mentality i don't know i don't know like uh, yeah like on an ordinary day when i wasn't having yeah <laughs> yeah about, yeah about this so the, yeah, the lyrics, my, my commentary my commentary fine. is kind of moot at this point <laughs> It's redundant. It's redundant. <laughs> because I've decided this is a concept yeah. album about Bruce Dickinson. Man, man like I, I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't disagree with you. That's so funny. Oh God, I'm so happy that it that we. Do you know what? It was like it was only because we decided to do this that I started looking at. It. Yeah, I hadn't really noticed anything in the Angel and the Gambler. I did in Future Real, but like the more I look at it, right? It's it's obvious. It's obvious. Anyway. I, I, I've even abandoned my notes. I haven't looked at any of my notes that I've made here. Uh, well, I, I'll tell you some things I've said. Blaze's vocals are nicely soothing. Um, I like them. They're they're quite good. And I oh love yeah, that's says, that's late. Mm, that's later on. Yeah. Don't you think <laughs> I could see? It's funny. I have I have a note. I, I have a note at. Uh, where is it? Uh, anyway, uh, so right, we, I don't think we, we haven't played gotten, any of the chorus. Let's just yet, keep so let's playing just, on the. Uh, I'm going to play a bit of the chorus here. Save your life. 
leave well alone. It's such a British well, it's colloquialism. It's so catchy, man. I love it. Why don't you leave? <laughs> leave well enough alone. Oh, it is catchy. Don't you think I could save, save you? you? Don't, Don't you think, think I, could I could save, save your life? Don't you think I could save me, me, your me, life? So, pause, pause it again. So that little pre-chorus there, I'll suffer my craving. My soul, soul's not worth saving. So why don't you go just leave all alone? Soul. So that we mentioned earlier on, on the, uh, on the cover art, there's some kind of like lost souls. You think there's any connection there? Possibly. Yeah. My soul's not worth saving. Eddie seems to be gripping some souls there. They're either trying to get away from his grasp or they're, they're clasped by him. So, and so um, the note that I have here is it, is it kind of, uh, the, throughout the whole song, it goes from from the perspective of the angel to the gambler. Yeah. And this little pre-chorus is the perspective of the gambler saying, I'll suffer my craving. My soul is not worth saving, so why don't you go just leave all alone? And then the chorus is from the perspective of the angel. Don't you think I'm a savior? Don't you think I could save you? Don't you think I could save your life? It's kind of like... And there, I think there's there's a lot of repetition mm. to the chorus, but I think maybe the the repetition might be intentional because it's like they're they're trying to like the angel is trying to save uh, save the soul, I guess, and the gambler is kind of like you know I'm kind of I've cut cut my losses, I'm not I'm not worth saving, kind of. Mm. No, and that—that's kind—I of, don't know—that's kind of what I, what I have interpreted from it. And I also, when I was when I was looking up the, uh, the, the meaning of the title, an angel apparently can also mean a rich person who finances somebody that gambles on their behalf. Yeah, I remember. I remember reading an interview with Steve Harris where he said this. Yeah. But he didn't realize this. He didn't realize this when he was writing the song, though. He said, "And so, like, so Steve is the gambler, and or wait, no, Steve is the angel, and Blaze is the gambler." Perhaps, but Steve has gone on record of saying that he didn't realize this when he was writing the song. Okay, sorry. So, <laughs> I mean, I, but okay. So, but like, apparently, angel can also mean that, like, somebody that gambles on their behalf. So, anyway, yeah. So yeah, so it shifts from the perspective throughout the whole song. It goes from like a verse from the perspective of the angel to the gambler, and then the angel to the gambler. So I think that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that that was my initial take on the song, all right. But now I'm I'm hung up on the other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it's like okay, so you know this the angel is Steve Harris, and then. <laughs> The gambler is Blaze, but anyway. So around three twenty-five, I have a note that there's a nice little instrumental break and then a build-up to the chorus again, which I I kind of it's really cool the way it sounds back over at like three twenty-five. Okay, let's go. Yeah, this little this little breakdown and build up. Love this. Odd, oddly quiet. Yeah. Don't know. 
The bass is cool here. I like this part. Yeah, and then he's quiet here, right? And it's a little bit of a different key, I think, there. It is, yeah. He's like, Savior. There's another hmm around five minutes. Let's just keep playing it. I'm not gonna just play the rest of the song. No. <laughs> the solo's coming up though. Okay, what time um, is the solo? Five I do have a point on both of those solos. I felt that both of them had kind of like a slash from Guns N' Roses tone. Uh, a slash Use Your Illusion Guns N' Roses tone. Uh, and maybe that's just a 1990s guitar sound. I don't know. But um, that that was my take. Maybe a musician could elaborate or, or shed some light on that. I yeah. love you too, Chelsea. Like. <laughs> Yes, um, I don't uh, have a, an in-depth take on Guns N' Roses, but I could see kind of like my limited knowledge of Guns N' Roses kind of like reminds me of that too, for sure. That simple, like, I don't know, it's kind of like a simple beat throughout the whole song. And I just said, it's catchy and mm. I, don't know, I like it a lot. Okay. Final thoughts but, on The Angel and The Gambler. I know you love it. Well, my own notes that I was taking when when introspecting on on this on these lyrics it's kind of you know it's it's quite relatable you know like it and in anything in life there's a choice to make and it's usually you you're trying to decipher what is good and what is bad and yeah and so like the and i don't know the classic example is like you got the angel on your shoulder and the devil on the other and of course like the devil's going to try to tempt you Mm. And, you know, we all have our own 
compulsions and, and our vices. Everybody's got their vice. So, yeah, so I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty relatable in, in my, in my mind, you know, it's like you, 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 you usually, you know what the right decision is, but usually, but a lot of the times you're tempted to make the wrong decision. What's not relatable to me is having an angel on one shoulder because I, I don't think I've ever had that in my entire life. <laughs> oh, come on. You, no. You've probably made some good decisions. I've had a devil on both shoulders my entire life. Just one is a worse devil. Got the devil on my shoulder. There, I've never looked around and thought, oh, and everything was being all like, oh, noble and, and correct and reasonable. I've never, never had that. <laughs> I've just had something going, go out on the piss. Go, just go out all night, get drunk. Go on, it'll be fine. I know it's Tuesday, it's fine. And the other one going, fuck that. Go out now, start drinking now. Don't mind him. He's an idiot. <laughs> he wants you to go out at eight o'clock. It's at four. So you got... You got a devil and then you got a, a worse I've devil. I've got a devil and a son of a bitch. <laughs> now that's a name for a fucking L.A. Guns song or something. I got a devil and a son of a bitch. And so, okay, so the rest of the the rest of the song is just, don't you think I could save you? I just said the rest of the song is kind of nondescript for me and it ends poorly. I yep. think that it is, isn't a bad song. They, it's, they, you know, it's, it's a little overproduced. I don't even think that. I think they. I think they have worse songs on Fear the Dark and No Prayer for the Dying that are just bad songs. And this does not enter into that category for me. And in fact, looking at the track list, I don't think anything on Virtual Eleven is a bad song. Even yep. the much maligned "Don't Look to the Eyes of a Stranger" or "When Two Worlds Collide," and we'll talk about those later. I think uh, when two when two worlds collides is not maligned, is it? Well, some people will malign it. Muchly, okay. um, muchly. <laughs> I think uh, I think this. It's not a bad song, but I don't think it's a great song by any means. Uh, I I can understand it is catchy in a to a degree, and Blaze's vocals are like I personally like Blaze's voice, and I really like his vocals. So anything he sings is going to be in good for me. Like like I'm certainly not one of these people who who dislikes these albums due to Blaze. If I dislike mm-hmm. anything on these albums, it's not due to him. It's due to like poor songwriting or maybe. Well, that's probably it. It's probably due to more so to Steve Harris and how he structured the songs and, and what he let into Iron Maiden and what he let onto the record because let's face it, he's the fucking gatekeeper of Iron Maiden. Uh, so if anyone's to blame, it's him. Um, but I think these albums are really good, both of them, and this song isn't bad, I'll say. This song, um, because of its length and its repetition, it kind of insists upon itself to borrow a phrase from peter griffin i haven't heard this phrase it insists upon itself because it's like you know the incessant repetition of the chorus yeah it's like okay i kind of i get your point you know after you you hear it like 40 times and so like when i was preparing my notes for this I copy and pasted the lyrics into a Word document, and the. <laughs> I hope you did a V look. Lyrics for this, yeah, the yeah. So the lyrics to this song took over four pages of a Word document. That's funny. It's like it puts every single. Don't you think I could save you? Because yeah, when you look at the booklet, like the, the lyrics aren't printed there in full. Because if they if they, if they were, this sixteen page yeah, booklet would be an eighty four page booklet. <laughs> 
Does it should say like repeat time sixteen? X sixteen, yeah, but it doesn't. They're too embarrassed to put that in. Harris is like, I'm not putting that in. They can work it out for themselves. All right, there you have it. Episode one of what will be a three-parter Virtual Eleven album review. An album released by Iron Maiden in 1998. Have we changed your mind about it yet? Possibly. Have we pissed you off so that you won't listen to any of the remaining episodes? Also, possibly. I hope you do listen to them because I think it gets better in episodes two and three. That's going to do it for episode 55 of Feckin' Metal or part one of our Virtual Eleven review. And I hope to see you next time. (laughs) 